A godly heritage is a valuable thing to have. We see that God's blessings was poured out on the children many times because of their family's faithfulness to God. We pray that you are blessed as you join us in the message, Leaving a Legacy. I'm going to be skipping around in Scripture this morning, so you want to just keep your Bibles handy, and uh, we will be providing on the overhead uh, Scripture for you, so uh, you won't have to race through your Bible. You may want to just jot down the verses if you'd like, and you can study these when you get home. This morning, um, I was sharing with a couple of the brothers, I was really struggling with what to preach this morning, and I actually uh, finished my sermon about 2 o'clock this morning, and I balled it up and threw it in the trash, and started over, so... uh, I spent another couple of hours uh, polishing up a sermon that I actually preached about two years ago. As I was going back through it, I'm like, all right, God, if I'm not going to be preaching on what I wanted to preach on, what do you want me to preach on, you know? And so uh, God just led me to pull this back out, and I, I don't want to serve you stale bread, and I don't think that it is. I believe that it's a, it's a word that's relevant anytime for any people anywhere. Um, in fact, I'll probably preach this again someday. And, and the title of the message is Leaving a Legacy. Because whether we realize it or not, folks, each and every one of you and I will leave a legacy of some kind. You're going to be remembered for something. But what are you going to be remembered for? The Random House College Dictionary says a legacy is anything handed down from the past as from an ancestor or a predecessor. The question is, what are you handing down to those that follow you, to your children, those that you perceive? And in a church setting, we want to know, what am I handing down to my my spiritual children, to those that I have influence over? Each and every one of us has a sphere of influence. People are watching you, people that you don't know. Somebody came to me just recently and says, this person that, that, uh, that they knew, that's a friend of theirs, says, I'm watching them when they don't know that I'm watching them. And I see God working in their life. So people are looking at us. And we have a sphere of influence over certain people. And as we do that, we are leaving something in their life. We're imparting something to them. And that's a part of the legacy that we're going to be leaving and and be remembered for. And so when we look at that, we, we ask, well, what difference does it make anyway? Some of us are handing down things that are godly things. I mean, we can look through history and we can pull out any list of names of godly people that have left a godly legacy. I just thought of a few. William Tyndale, who was a Bible translator. The reason we have the Word of God today in English is because of men like William Tyndale and John Wycliffe. The reason we are a Christian nation is because of people like William Brewster and William Bradford, the governor of Plymouth. We think about great revivalists like Jonathan Edwards and Charles Finney, George Whitfield. Feel. Great men of God that left great legacies. But there's also some other people that left legacies. Like Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Jeffrey Dahmer. Stalin. Charles Darwin. How would you like to be Charles Darwin's offspring? <laughs> Darwinism and all the atheists. I wouldn't want that to be my great great granddaddy. I don't know about you. But somebody's got to be their offspring. <laughs> When I think of women, you think of Amy Simple McPherson, the founder of the Four Square Church, Catherine Kuhlman, that great revivalist, and I mean healing miracles that followed her ministry, Joyce Myers, I mean what a legacy she is leaving thus far, Lisa Bevere, Heidi Baker, I understand somebody just went to see Heidi, did you get to see her by the way? I mean look at the legacy, my word, that that lady is leaving. A lady by the name of Maria Woodworth Adder. Great, powerful healing ministry. You know she became so old she couldn't walk anymore. And they, back, I mean this is like way back when they didn't have convenient, modern conveniences like we have today, wheelchairs and that. They had a a chair that they actually set her in and they would pick her up on staffs and and support her because she was kind of a heavy woman. And she preached for so long under the anointing and the power of God she couldn't walk a step. And they would carry her. And when her feet hit the pulpit, the power of God would hit her. 
And she would stand up and preach the word of God. And when she was through and stepped off the pulpit, couldn't take another step. I mean, a great legacy that these people leave. But there's also been people like Bloody Mary, Queen of England, killed thousands of Puritans. Herodias, the woman that said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter, who left a legacy. Everybody knows about Jezebel, who left a legacy, and that spirit is still around today. So what do you want to be remembered for? What kind of a legacy are you leaving? What do you want to answer for? Those are some of the questions that we need to answer, folks. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask, O God, that you just part the heavens right now today, Lord, and let your glory fall in Central Virginia Assembly of God. Lord, I ask for your presence to come down in a tangible way, Lord, so that we not only can hear your word, but, God, we feel the presence of your spirit in this place. God, I pray by the power of your Spirit, Lord, that you would touch this speaker right now, Lord, to preach under the unction and the anointing of the Spirit. Things that I haven't even thought about, God, I pray that you break through the natural realm, Lord, and speak to the hearts of people. Lord, the things that we need to hear today. God, there is somebody under the sound of my voice that needs to hear from you today. God, they have questions about you, who you are, what you are, Lord. They need to know you, God, and know you in a real way. They feel like you're a stranger, Lord, but they don't realize that you're a friend, O God that walks to us closer than a brother. And Lord, this is like they shared on, on the featured family, Lord. They said, God, you're always there. And when I pray, I know there's somebody there that I can talk to. And you hear me. You help me through my problems. So, Lord, we pray today that you would just help us arrive at that, Lord, through this word today. Encourage us, God. Father, those that's walking in your spirit today, Lord, I pray that you just encourage them to press on. And God, if there's somebody here this morning that is... God, they drifted away. Lord, they're not as passionate as they once were for you. God, challenge them. God, if there's somebody totally outside of your will, Lord, I pray that you convict them, Lord. But whatever you do, Lord, I pray, God, that you change our lives and transform us into your glory to look like you. We ask you now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Now, folks, the life that we choose is going to affect others uh, that is around us. And generations that's going to follow us is going to be affected by the life that we live for good or for evil in ways that we may not see. The Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 18, God says, Thou showest loving kindness unto thousands. God shows loving kindness unto thousands and recompense the iniquity of the fathers unto the bosom of their children after them. The great and mighty God, the Lord of hosts, is His name. So what he's saying there is, I bless thousands. I also recompense iniquity to many people, and not only to them, but to the bosom of their children. Now, folks, if anything should get our attention, that should. The things that I do doesn't just affect me. It affects my children after me. Hosea chapter 4, verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because thou hast rejected knowledge I will also reject thee, that thou should be no priest to me, seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God. I will also forget thy children. The things you do will affect your children and people that follow you. What are you leaving for your children? What is your legacy going to be? I love this featured family thing because what that shows me is here is a family that has decided, I'm going to leave a godly legacy. And it's being passed down to their children. To see a teenager give glory to God. Yeah. You, can't, you can't imagine the thrill that's in my heart as I hear that and see that, and see that legacy being passed down from mom and dad to those children. Yeah. So just as, as the legacy of evil men pass on evil, so the mercies of God is passed on to the children. He says, your iniquities, I'm going to recompense in the bosom of your children. Because you forgot my law, I'm going to forget your children. But not only that, if you live godly, he says, I'm going to let the mercies of God fall upon generations after you. There was a New York social worker that did a study on two men from the 1700s. Now, these two men, they lived in the same neighborhood. They lived on the same street. They were close to the same age. They each had over a thousand descendants. 
One man had 1,026 descendants, of which 300 died prematurely, 150 were known criminals, 100 averaged uh, 13 years in prison, 17 of them were murderers, 16 were public prostitutes, 100 were worthless deadbeats, <laughs> 310 of them died in utter, utter, utter poverty. The other man who lived on the same street in the same neighborhood had 1,029 descendants, of which 300 of them were preachers of the gospel. 65 of them were college professors. 13 were university presidents. 60 authored books. 30 were judges. 295 were college graduates. Three of them were U.S. congressmen. 80 of them were public officials. 75 were military officers in the U.S. Army and the U.S. Navy. 60 of them were doctors. 100 of them were lawyers. And one of them, Aaron Burke, was the vice president of the United States. Now, when you look at these two men, lived on the same street, same age, raised about just as many offspring and descendants as the other, what made the difference? One of them was a man by the name of Max Dukes. He was just an average person, had a serious drinking problem. He was rough and tough, but he had no use for God, had no use for preachers, had no use for Christians, had no use for church. And you see the legacy that he left. Not only did it affect him, but a thousand of his generations that followed him all followed in his footsteps. The second man was Jonathan Edwards. He was just a simple preacher of the gospel. There was nothing about him that would draw you to him. He wasn't an attractive man. In fact, he wore real, real thick glasses. And when he would preach, he would have to get so... He, would, he didn't even preach. He just read his sermons off. And they said that he would have to get the paper so close to his face that sometimes he would leave ink on the end of his nose when he was preaching. The most powerful sermon that he ever preached was a sermon that is well known today entitled Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And when he finished reading that sermon and put it down, the people ran to the altar crying for mercy and asking for God to forgive them and to save them. Both of them left a legacy. One left a legacy because he rejected God and he passed that same disregard on to his descendants. The other honored God and he passed on that same legacy to his children. The Bible says in Psalms 103 verse 17, but the mercy of the Lord is from, is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him and His righteousness unto children's children. Let me read that again. Are you still with me? Say, uh-huh. The mercies of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear Him and His righteousness unto children's children. I'm living that in my own life, church. My dad decided to serve God. None of his brothers did. His dad didn't. But he decided, I'm going to serve Jesus. My brothers are Christians. They raised their children in church. I am a Christian. I raised my children in church. Now my children are raising their children in church. And I believe that we're going to leave a legacy. My dad is leaving a legacy. It's going to last, if Jesus tarries, for generations to come. And, and I thank God that he made that decision. I don't know where I would be today if he'd have followed the path of those before him. I don't know where I would be. It probably wouldn't be good. Luke chapter 1 verse 50 says, And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. So God's mercy is on me because of my father. Maybe some of you came up in a Christian home and God's mercy is on you because of your fear. You know, we wonder sometimes, why, why am I here? Why has God given me favor? And we may think it's because of something we've done, and it may be, but it may also be something that your ancestors have done before you, and God's mercy is being passed on to you because of what they did. You say, well, Pastor, I've already raised my kids, or I'm raising them, and I've already made so many mistakes, man, I have messed it up already. How, what can I do? And so, because that's a lot of people. A lot of, anybody in here ever messed up? <laughs> anybody in here ever really messed up? Because I really messed up some stuff. 
I didn't always go the way my mom and dad wanted me to go. There was a period in my life I wanted to see what was on the other side. And then I stepped out of the will of God. You know, but it was just, a, I made a mess out of it. But I, man, I thank God this morning that He's a God of second chances. And so this morning I wanted to look at a man. I mean, this guy messed up probably as big as anybody in the Bible has ever messed up. But yet, he went on to leave a great legacy. The man I'm talking about is David. I don't think there's a man in the Bible that has made a bigger mess out of things than David did. And the favor of God was on him. And when I look at other people who did less serious crimes than he did, God's curse was on them. And the reason was because David was willing to come and say, God, I have sinned and I've sinned against you. And David was willing to repent. You know the story, and I won't go into great depth and detail about it, but David was the king. He looked upon another man's wife. This man was off in battle where David should have been, by the way. And so David had his wife brought to him. He committed adultery with her. They conceived a child together. When he realized that she was, had conceived a child and her husband was off the battle, he had him murdered. End of the story, he had him murdered. So he's an adulterous murderer who abuses authority. And when the prophet came to him and told him a story about one man having many, many lambs and another man only had one, and said the man that had many lambs had a visitor come and visit him, and instead of killing one of his lambs, he went over and took that man's one little lamb that he loved and killed it and fed his guest. And David was irate. He said, bring that man to me. I will make him pay a hundredfold and... I mean, he just was furious. And Nathan the prophet looked at him and says, David, you are that man. You're that man, David. And he realized what he had done. And the Bible says he fell on his face before God and said, I have sinned against you, O God, and against you only have I sinned. And we see, in, if you want to read it, read in Psalms chapter 53, how he's crying out to God and says, Return unto me the joy of my salvation. And he asked for God's mercy. And because he was willing to repent, the mercy of God came on his life and on generations that followed him. I want you to look at some of those. Eleven years after his life, Solomon, his son, has built a temple unto God. And he prays this long prayer of blessing and dedication over the temple in in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. In verse 42, he ends his prayer. And he says, O Lord God, Turn not away the face of thine anointed. Remember the mercies of David, thy servant. That's how he ended his prayer. God, we dedicate this place and everything. And oh, by the way, God, remember the mercy that's on my father, David. And then in the next chapter, Second Chronicles chapter 7, he says this. Now, when Solomon had made an end of praying, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifice, and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because of the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. Why? Because he remembered the mercies of David. The glory of God sometimes comes on us because of what other people have done. You know why we enjoy a spirit-filled church where the presence of God comes in every single time we gather here? And I believe that. How many of you believe the glory of God's presence is here every time we assemble? Is it because of what we've done? Partly, but not entirely. Because before this church was ever a reality, there was a pastor in in Culpeper who was the sectional presbyter of this section for 18 years. He had a vision for a church in Louisa County, an Assembly of God church in Louisa County. And every year when they would have their Presbytery board meeting, there was a piece of property that they had bought here in the county. And they wanted to sell it because there was no church being planted here. And he says, no, we can't sell that property because God has told me he's going to raise up a mighty work of God in Louisa County. For 18 years he stood on that promise. And when God spoke to my heart to raise this church up, Brother Greg Vogt, the pastor of Orange Assembly of God, made an appointment for me to go and meet with Bill Smith, sectional presbyter. We met right up here at Hardy's in Louisa. And he sat across the table from me, and I shared my vision and what I felt like God was telling me to do. 
I told him about this school building, and I felt like this is where God wanted us to plant this church. He said, I want to ride down there and look at it. We looked at it, and he looked at me and says, Bernie, 18 years ago, God told me that he was going to raise up a work in Louisa County. He said, now is the time, and you are the man. I know it in my heart. And the reason we enjoy the presence of God here is partly because of our obedience and our willingness to serve God, but a whole lot of it lays on the shoulders of a man of God who would not give up a vision that God gave him for 18 years. For three years, some of you and young couples in this area prayed for the glory of God to visit the churches in Louisa County. For three years, would meet every Friday night and pray, sometimes to 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning, praying for the glory of God to come to the churches in Louisa County. And finally, God says, we're going to raise up a church right here in this old school building. And God has opened the doors to a great work of God right here because of their labor and their sacrifice to pray. Twenty-three years after David's life, we find recorded in 1 Kings chapter 11 that Solomon had did evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 6. He went not fully after the Lord as did David his father. Skip down to verse 11. It says, Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done to thee, of thee, and thou hast not kept my commandments and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding, in thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake. 30, 23 years later, that, that blessing that David passed on to his children is still following him. His legacy is being left. You wonder sometimes why God is doing things in your life? Why you didn't die in that car wreck? Come on. Huh? Why the bullet didn't hit you? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Why you're still here? God has a plan for your life. Right. And it may not have anything to do with what you've done. It may have to do with mama's prayers or grandma's prayers or granddad's prayers or aunt so-and-so's prayers or somebody that's left a legacy and you're reaping the benefit from it. Solomon wasn't serving God, but God gave him favor because of his father, David. Fifty-seven years after David, Jeroboam, his grandson, has, is an evil king. He's raised up idols to a false god. And it tells us in the 15th chapter of 1 Kings, verse 4, Nevertheless, for David's sake did the Lord his God give him a lamp in Jerusalem to set up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life save only the matter of Uriah the Hittite. So the blessings of God is still following him 57 years after his life was over. Not only that, but 567 years after David. Another king comes on the scene named Hezekiah. Foolish king. Shows the enemy all the wealth of, of, of Israel. A guy named Sennacherib, the Syrian king that had conquered every nation. And here he is showing him everything he's got. And God says, because you've done this, you're going to lose the kingdom. Yet I won't do it in your day. I'll do it in your son's days. And Sennacherib sends him word that he's going to attack Jerusalem. He's going to take it over. And so they begin to fast and pray and ask God, what are we going to do? And the Lord answered them in 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 32. He says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield, nor cast a blank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return. And shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend the city to save it, for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Almost 600 years after he's dead, that blessing and that legacy is still being passed down to his descendants. So when we see God saying, I'm going to pass on blessing from generation to generation unto your children, if you will serve me, we see it lived out in the Scripture. So what are you passing down to your children? Are you leaving a legacy a godly legacy for your children. What do you want to be remembered for? 
And if you've made a mess out of it, or if you're messing up right now, let me just, everybody look this way, and let me just give you some real godly wisdom from heaven. You ready for this? Stop it. Look at your neighbor. Say, neighbor. Stop it. Just stop it. It's not that complicated, folks. If you're doing something not smart, stop. I mean, David could have been like Saul and made all kind of excuses. Oh, well, Lord, it was the people and this and that and every reason under the sun why not to serve God. But he didn't do that. He said, Lord, I have sinned against you. He just stopped it. You see, insanity, you know what the definition of insanity is? Doing the same dumb thing over and over and expecting a different results. It's insanity. To overcome failure, the first thing you have to do is admit it. Too many people have to wait till they wake up in the pig pen, though. Remember the prodigal son? He wanted all of his wealth, and he went out and he just blew it on wild women and parties and drinking and parties and wild living. And when he found himself waiting in pig poo and eating pig slop, he realized it was better in daddy's house. Why is it that some people have to get down with the pigs before they realize, I'm not doing too good here. I probably need to do this different. Amen? What does it take? Does it take a pig pen experience? Some people just cannot say, I'm wrong. Just can't say it. I'm wrong. Some spend their whole life covering up their mistakes because of their pride. It's what King Saul did. They become a prisoner to pretense. They hide their lies in a delusion that everything is okay. Their entire life is like a, just a charade. A life of hypocrisy. Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. Get, over get over your prideful self. <laughs> Look at your neighbor and say, neighbor, neighbor. Everybody, everybody is a donkey, is a donkey. sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes we just do dumb things. Anybody ever here done a, done a dumb thing? <laughs> I've done plenty of dumb things, brother, let me tell you. Now, you can let the devil just beat you over the head with it and shame you and you just give up and say, I messed up, I can't do this anymore. It's just that everybody's going to remember it. No, Don't you think people remembered what David did? I mean, he went on to marry the woman. What would have been the conversation in our church? <laughs> David done cheated on the, his wife and this man and... Now he has him murdered. And after the poor boy's in the ground, he marries the woman. What would we be saying about all of that? But yet God used the offspring of that woman to be the next king that would build his temple, Solomon. God sees things a little different than we do, doesn't he? So he's like, I've made such a mess out of this. How could God ever use me? He can use you. You've never made too big of a mess that God can't use you if you will just get to the point to say, God, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. And get over this foolish pride and just say, Hee-haw! I was a donkey! I made a mistake. I messed up. Forgive me. If we can admit our failures, it is the first step to a great legacy. That was David's first step to his great legacy that he left. The legacy that said he was a man after God's own heart. This murdering cheat. Because he was willing to admit his failure. The Bible calls that repentance. We all want the mercy of God on our life. His mercy and His grace. We sang about it this morning. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. And He says that that mercy and grace, it endures forever on those who will repent. If we will just admit our failure and say, God, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. You can receive that mercy. 
and through the legacy of your fathers or through what you do. Let me ask you something. If the mercy I'm receiving today, like Solomon received, like Jeroboam received, like Hezekiah received, wasn't because of what they did. In fact, they didn't do anything good. But yet they received the mercy of the Lord. If the mercy you're receiving is because of what your ancestors has passed down to you, is that going to save you? No, what my daddy did is not going to save me because God don't have grandchildren. Nieces and nephews, all he has is children. So it's not enough just to receive the mercies of God passed down to us by our ancestors. We need to go to God ourselves and ask him to forgive us for the messes that we make. And if there is ever a place, folks, that we should be able to admit our failure, it should be in the house of God. And not get the rumor weed just going wide open. We should be able to admit our failure and find grace and mercy in the house of God. How many of you have received God's grace? Huh? He said, freely you received? Freely, yeah. Who are we to stand in judgment? We should not bury our wounded. So you say, if I don't, you don't like the legacy that you're leaving, you don't have to be discouraged by your failures. Because we all have failures in our, our life. And people sometimes feel like they're just so unworthy because of their failures. But God can still use us. Because we have to understand that it's not necessarily our successes that gives, gives us God's grace. It is His mercy. Because the very word grace means unmerited favor. It's not something that we deserved. I mean, good grief. If anybody deserved the judgment of God, it was King David. But he didn't get the, mercy, the, grace, uh, the uh, judgment of God. He got the mercy and the grace of God. Yeah. One last scripture it says in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1 through 6. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause thee to hear my words. Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, he wrought a work, on the wheel and the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter so he made it again do you see that it was marred I still want to do that one of these days I'm going to get a potter's wheel anybody ever made pottery on a potter's wheel anybody ever done that Just lift your hand real high is it as fun as it looks I'm going to do that one. He said, we've been talking about doing that. Did you ever mess up what you were working on? Did you just throw it away? You just ball it up and start all over. God does the same thing. And he's telling Jeremiah, go down there. And said, when he went down there, the potter was working on this pot and it was marred. It was messed up. And so he just made it again. Another vessel. It seemed good to the potter to make it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hands, so are ye in mine hands, O house of Israel. You see, what seems like failure to you and I, it's a beautiful vessel in the eyes of God that has still yet to be made. If you've messed up, God can fix it. So if I don't like my legacy that I'm leaving, change it. Just change it. We saw this family today. Can I pick on you a minute, Tony? Tony was messing up, you know. The the pastor's coming to talk to me, man. I I better go to church, man. I don't want him coming in here talking to me, you know. I can remember. See, charity... I'm going to just reminisce a little bit here. Charity babysitted these guys. They're not little bitty fellows, you know. After was it after school. They weren't babies. They were children. It was an after school program. And 
I don't remember who was singing something. They were singing a Christian song or something. So they realized that they were Christians, and she got to talking to them about this. And when they started coming to church, I don't remember both of them, but I remember this one right here. Would you say all the time, said, please pray for my daddy. Please pray for my daddy. And God took him and made something beautiful out of his life a vessel of honor and godliness, and now he's leaving a great legacy. You know, because he was messing up, so he just changed it. And God is doing wonderful things in his life. God can use any failure if the person will just yield to him. I'm going to give you three examples real quick, and then I'm going to close. The woman at the well. Married seven times, folks. And when Jesus met her, she wasn't even married to the guy. She was shacking up with him. Is shacking up a bad word? Okay, I just have to be careful here. I don't use a word. Some of my construction roots coming out, you know. Because I see people use words on Facebook that I don't think they ought to be using. You know, to me, that's uh, not a good word. You shouldn't be using that. Anyway, I'm not going there. But seven times this woman is messed up. And now she's messing up big time. But Jesus took that marred, messed up vessel and made something beautiful out of it because she was willing to go and say, come and see the man that has told me everything I did. And God used that messed up, marred vessel to win a whole city to him. Matthew, he goes through and of all the people he could pick was an IRS agent a tax collector that cheated the people. You owed $50 worth of taxes, he'd tell you you owed 200 He'd pay the government 50 and stick the 150 in his pocket. And they knew that. But God used him to be, an, uh, to be a biography of the, of, the, of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And one of his greatest apostles, the Apostle Paul, who himself said he was the chief among sinners, God used him to be probably the greatest apostle in the New Testament. Simon Peter, who in Jesus' darkest hour denied him and said he didn't even know him, cursed him. And God used him to be another one of his great apostles. And of course, David, this adulterous murderer who the Bible says was a man after God's own heart. God used him. Hunter, why don't you guys go ahead and join me up on the platform? Go ahead and stand to your feet, if you would, please, and stretch yourself. I know you've been sitting a little while there. So, I just, folks, I don't know. Maybe this wasn't the right word for today, but I just feel like somebody here needed to hear this. Maybe somebody out in cyberspace, you know, you just made a mess out of your life, and you're just beating yourself up, and it seems like everything you've done has turned out bad or... You just wonder, how could I ever be an inspiration to anybody, to my children, to anybody, with the mistakes that I've made? Because there's some folks out there, God bless their heart. Man, their life is just a mess. It's a disaster. But I've seen God take some pretty raunchy people and do some pretty amazing things with them. Some of the people that I know in the Lord, that I'm talking about people that are pastors and evangelists and stuff, and you hear their testimony. How many of you remember Gerald Mahan? Gerald Fire shut up in his bones, Mahan. Huh? He was a serious drug dealer. That God got a hold of him and straightened his life out. And now he's, I mean, that is one blazing evangelist, man. When he goes into a shopping mall, you know Gerald Mahan just stepped in the building because he's witnessing to everybody. How many of you went with us over to Food Line? And he's, man, he's out there shaking hands and inviting people to church and telling them, say, come on over to Central Virginia, Central God, man, we're going to run the devil out of Louisa County. Come on over and join us. And just, I mean, he's just a trip, man, to be around, you know. You would never know his previous life and the type of person that he was. You would never dream that. He would have been that type of person. Uh, real quick, and then I'm going to read this little words of this song, and I'm going to close. A man early on in my life that had a real, real impact on my life um, could quote the Bible like few people I know. And 
he, he just, he inspired me. And as I got to know him, he started telling me what he was like uh, as a young man. He got a dishonorable discharge from the military, from being AWOL and a lot of other stuff that he did. And he was just a violent, violent person. And I asked him one day, I said, did you ever kill anybody? He's like, I don't really know for sure. There's a couple that I'm not sure about. I said, what was the meanest thing you ever did? He said, well, he said, there was so many. He said, one time a guy came up to me with a big Bible in his hand and said, Jesus loves you. He said, I hit him in the mouth so hard that his tooth came through his top lip. I took his Bible, ripped the pages out of it, and threw it down the street. Another man was sitting on the thing, didn't have any legs, had a cup. So I pushed him over and took his money. He said, I beat a guy one time so bad that he was almost unconscious. I walked away and I turned and walked back over and I turned his teeth up against the curb of the, of the sidewalk and I stomped him in the back of his head. And he was a very mean, very mean, violent man. And you would think, how could God ever take somebody like that and use them? He finally got married to this lady and he said that his friend invited him over and he'd noticed something about his friend. When they get together, they was usually partying and drinking and stuff like that. He said, but there was something different about his friend and he, he didn't know what it was, but he just know, there, was, there was a change about him, you know. And he said he invited him over. Well, he assumed they're going to go over and they're going to cook out and they're going to probably get tight and just have a party like they had done so many times in the past. And said so when he came over, they sat down and said he noticed there was no booze there. The grill wasn't going, anything. And he sat him down and he said, I want to tell you what, what Jesus did in my life. And he began to witness to me, he said. And said, what he didn't know is the next day, my wife and I decided we're just going to throw in the towel and give it up. We were going to go different directions. And he said, I nailed at his coffee table. He said, I didn't know anything about how to pray. He said, but this was my prayer. He said, God, I'll give you two weeks to get my life straight. You ain't got it straight in two weeks. I'm going forward with this divorce and call it quits. He said, Bernie, God, straighten my life out in two seconds. I don't know how much further to go with this because I don't know who's going to hear it, but he left a legacy. I'm a part of that legacy. That man, although he didn't do everything perfect, he wasn't a perfect Christian. He made some mistakes. Joel was impacted by that man. I could go on and tell you other stories. Tom Papania, one of the number one enforcers for the Gambino family, and how God changed his life. He's got a, a tape out called From Mafia to Ministry. How God changed his life. How he went to a church. Because this guy kept bugging him. He thought he finally said, if, if I just go to church, maybe you just shut up and just leave me alone. And he said, I walked into the church and all these people had this silly smile on their face and said, all I can think is it's a scam, it's a front for something else. They got something going on and all of them know it and I'm the only one that don't know it. And so he's checking the building out, trying to figure out where they got the money hid and all this stuff coming from his criminal background, you know. That's the way he thought. And on the way out the door, the pastor grabbed him and he said, he jerked his hand away and said, don't put your hands on me. You don't know who I am. Don't touch me. And said, so the pastor by the Holy Spirit said, when I see you, all I see is a little boy crying, wanting his dad to love him. He said, I knew in that moment I had to kill this man because he was the only person on earth that knew my only weakness because Tom Papania was known for having no weaknesses. They would send him out to collect money that was owed to the mafia and you paid up when Tom Papania. They would call and say, send anybody, but don't send Tommy. And he said, he went over that night. The pastor called and said, I want you to come over. I want to talk to you. He said, oh man, he's making it easy. I'll go over there and wax this guy and be out of there. Nobody will even know what happened. He said, when I walked in and sat down, the pastor began to talk to me. He said, before I knew it, I was on the face, on the floor, pouring my heart out to God, crying my heart out. 
He said, I didn't know what was going on. He said, I got up. Said, I, I said, I got to get out of here. I said, I've lost all my dignity. And the man looked at me and says, Tommy, don't you know what you've done? He said, you've given your heart to Jesus. And God changed him just like that. Told him, anything you didn't earn, give it away. He said, God, everything. He said, I own jet airplanes. I have nothing that I've earned. He had to give everything away and went to work a minimum wage job. I could go on just telling you his story. But there's hundreds of lives like that, of people, just impossible situations you would never dream that God could take them and change them, and they live a great legacy. So I'm going to close with this. I jotted these thoughts down the last time I preached this, and I asked this question. What makes you such a super sinner that God can't save you? That God can't use you. A songwriter once wrote a song that says, I've loved you long before your eyes first saw the day. Everything I've done for you was to help you on your way. Even though you've chosen darkness with its miseries and fears. Even though you've turned from me and wasted all these years. Even though my name's been spattered in the mire in which you lie. I'd take you back this instant. If you turn to me and cry. I don't quit care where you've been sleeping. I don't care who's made your bed. I've already gave my life to set you free. There's no sin you can imagine that is stronger than my love. And it's all yours if you'll just come home again to me. I want you to ask you to just bow your head if you would please. If you're listening to this online or wherever you are maybe somebody gave you a copy of this sermon I just want you to know this morning that you can start a new life right now today you can make a new legacy today because God is the God of new beginnings What are you passing down to those who will follow you? We each and every one will leave a legacy. What legacy are you leaving? Come on, get honest with yourself. Will your children follow in your footsteps like Max Duke's children did? Will they follow in your footsteps like Jonathan Edwards' children did? The choice is yours. If you choose to reject God, don't have any use for those loudmouth preachers and churches and Christians and they're all a bunch of hypocrites and all of those things that people say and go through your mind. Then that's the legacy you will leave. But if you're willing to say, God, I have sinned and I've sinned against you. I am wrong. And I acknowledge that today. And I come before you and I ask you in Jesus' name, do in me what you did in David, creating me a clean heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit in me. I'm going to promise you something. If you will do that and pray that prayer, God will change your life just like he did my friend. It didn't take two weeks to get his life straight. God got his life straight in two seconds. Just like Tom Papania. God changed his life in an instant. And God can do the same thing for you today. If you're here this morning, and you say, Pastor, I want to leave a new legacy. I'm not happy with the legacy that I'm leaving. And I've heard what you said this morning. And I want God to do a work in my life. I'm going to ask you just to step out of the seat where you're sitting. I'm going to ask you to come and join me at the altar. The Bible says, if you're ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father, which is in heaven. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand this morning. I'm going to ask you to step out and come and join me right here at the altar. Is there anyone here? They'll say, Pastor, I want to get it right today. Before we close, I want to close in prayer. I want to pray for those of you here this morning and there's somebody that's just on your heart. 
you want to see God touch their life. You're probably thinking right now, man, I wish so-and-so was here. Wish they could hear this message this morning. I would love to see God touch their heart, change their life. If you've got someone like that, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand, and I'm going to come in agreement with you as we close in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we lift our hands to you. God, representing those that we love and care so much for. God, we want you to do a work in their heart. Lord, we know that there is great power in prayer. You, Lord, you said the effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man, it avails much. So, Lord, we just pray for them right now. As each person just breathes the name of that friend or family member or loved one, God, you hear, the, you hear their prayer. And in Jesus' name, we come in agreement right now, Lord, that you will move every obstacle that stands in the way of them hearing the truth, Lord. God, remove every obstacle that prevents them from knowing you. God, we come against the lying demonic powers, Lord, that would deceive them, God, and keep them bound in the delusion that they live live in so that they can know you, God, and know your grace and know your mercy. Draw them by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Father, we know that the enemy is raging. Today you said that he roams to and fro of the earth, seeking whom he may devour. He's like a roaring lion. And God, we just come against him in the name of Jesus today, God. And we rise, say that, God, you rise up. Your power is greater than his, Lord. And we ask, oh God, that as much as he tries to resist and tries to hold them and keep them bound in bondage, that, Father, that you rise up in a greater power and set them free. We ask you, O oh God, to direct us, God, in the things that we say and do from this day forward, Lord, that we continue to walk in a, in a life of godliness, Lord, and that we leave that same legacy, Lord, to our children, both spiritually and physically. And for many generations, Lord, we will impact the kingdom of God. Just like Joel has shared this morning, one man making one decision, Lord, one woman making one decision can impact hundreds and hundreds of lives. We ask you, Lord, that you allow that to happen in our lives. Now, in Jesus' name, and God, when it is said and when it is done, we will bow our heads, God, and say to you be all the glory and the power and the honor. In Jesus' name. Now, Father, as we go forth from this place, Lord, help us to hide these words now in our heart, God, and remember them so that we don't sin against you. Lord, I pray that you'd bless the homes of those that's represented here today. Lord, that your peace would rest in each household, God. Father, that you would build a strong bond between men and their wives, Lord. Between mothers and fathers and their children. Lord, just like the featured family we saw today, a godly family, Lord, serving you, serving one another. Make all of our homes just like that, we ask you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.